Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Life Church. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, could we just welcome, we have our West Campus, our Appleton Campus, our online campus watching this today. Could we give a big round of applause to our... And I think it's uh, awesome to be a part of a, a larger church family that, that kind of transcends geography. That's, that's something that 10, 15 years ago, we would have said, what? What are you talking about? And that's, that's just pretty cool to be able to do that. And so um, this weekend, Pastor Aaron is actually um, at a, a church that, speaking, that we uh, helped plant about three, four years ago. And uh, we, you, you guys financially supported and helped make that plant happen. And so uh, he's actually there speaking live this weekend. And so uh, it's just awesome to be able to kind of loan out our pastor for a weekend. And thank you for that. And so I'm excited to speak this weekend, though. Um, I just got to ask a couple questions before we jump into the message. I need a little audience participation. You guys feeling awake this morning? Good, ready to go? Okay. Uh, how many of you and, uh, have flown on an airplane in your life? Would you just raise your hand? You've flown on an airplane before? Okay, you can put them down. How many of you have flown at least one time in the last 12 months? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you have flown at least two times in the last 12 months? Okay, a little bit less hands. Put them down. How many of you have flown at least five times in the last... 10 months. Raise your hand. Okay, this is, this is, this is going to be a lot, but how many of you have flown at least 10 times in the last 12 months? Would you raise your hand? Okay, look around. People raising their hand, raising their hand. Okay. I believe that, you can put them down, I believe the people raising their hands right now are some of the most miserable people in <laughs> the world. And here's my theory. Here's my theory. I think your joy in life is, has a direct correlation to the number of times you have to go through TSA security. Uh, or just through an airport in general. I think there's a direct correlation uh, between the two. I am not a big fan of airports at all. Um, I don't fly a ton, but when I do, I'm telling you. And for me, like, since I don't fly a ton, it's not gotten to the point where airports to me are, are like, going somewhere, flying somewhere is still fun to me. Like, I, I'm, I get excited about it, even if it's vacation or if it's a trip or whatever. Like, I get kind of giddy about it. Like, the night before, I'm, like, packing my snacks and stuff and, like, <laughs> buying magazines and just making, you know, like, I'm, I'm pumped up about it. So I'm usually in a good mood by the time I get to the airport, okay? Like, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. I wake up early. can't sleep as well. Like, I, I just get excited about it because you're going to a new city and it's just fun, uh, but airports have a way of just sucking that joy <laughs> right out of you. It starts at, um, at like ticketing baggage, uh, you know, area, and, and hopefully you don't have to check a bag. That's the goal on any trip is if you don't have to check a bag, you're, 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 you've already beat the system a little bit. And so, but if you do have to check a bag, you just get there. I'm, I just get amused a little bit because it's amazing to see the amount of inactivity when checking in a bag. Um, just nobody's doing anything. You're just watching behind there like, what, how is this so complicated? And, and if you work at a ticketing, ticketing area, I just got to tell you, you need to step up your game. This is just, <laughs> it's just not a good, it's not a very efficient system. And then, okay, so you get your bag checked. I've actually uh, missed a flight because of baggage, like having to take so long to do that. Um, and, and then you get to TSA, and that's always a lot of fun, right? So um, thank God they're doing this whole pre-check thing. There will come a day where I will get on that list. I don't even know how to go about it. But, um, but TSA, you get to the, the front of the line, and I don't know what it is. But maybe this is just me, but like 
I, I like feel like a responsibility to like impress the TSA agents. Like if I just smile enough and I, I just want to make sure I look them in the eyes so I don't look suspicious. That's what I'm trying to avoid because nobody wants the pat down. Uh, the pat down is very humiliating and God forbid they actually have to rip your bag open and they're looking at you like, really? You need a toothbrush and you need underwear for this trip? Why? You know, they're, they're like asking you, you're like, seriously, why are you ripping my bag open? Have you ever had that happen where they rip your bag open? It's like, no, this is awful. Uh, this is humiliating. But anyway, so you get through all of that and hopefully you didn't have the pat down. And then you get to the, the gate and usually, I, I don't know what it is, I always like to get something to eat at the airport. It's just like, even if I'm not hungry, I'm like, it's just kind of just what you do at the airport. But then they tell you how much it costs. Like, really? This horrible ham sandwich and a soda is $14. Why? Do you guys, have you guys not been out lately? Do you guys live here? Do you not understand? It's like the village, you know, like it, you guys don't understand what things, co- anyway. So then you get to the, the gate and they're calling all these priority bliss and blah, 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 orange, blue, diamond, gold, platinum, whatever. You, you know, all these people can, can board. And then you look at your ticket, you're like boarding group 19. Um, is that good? I, I don't know. And, and so you get onto the plane, and your goal on the plane is just find an overhead bin to put your bag. That's in front of you or next to your, next to your seat, because if you have to go backwards, it's terrible. So uh, you want to do it right there. So the, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were flying, and, and I um, went to put my bag above my... It was perfect. There was a spot, like, directly above my seat, wide open, and we were one of the last people on. So I was like, this is awesome. And I go to put my bag up there, and I see somebody's hat, just, just a hat sitting in this spot. And this is not one of my prouder moments of life. Um, my wife will attest to this. Got a little reprimanded uh, after this one. But I actually said out loud, really? Your hat has to be si- sitting here? And I was talking to just whoever was listening. It's somebody in this general area. I know it's one of you. Nobody fessed up. And, and so anyway... Not, I'm not proud of that. And you're like, wow, that's one of our pastors. Awesome. Um, I'm sorry. It just came out. I was already frustrated up until that point. It was not a good moment. So I ended up having to put my bag like a few rows back, which so then when you're getting off the plane, you're like, yeah, I'm the guy that, yep, that bag. Can I crawl over everybody and get to my bag? And so anyway, I could go on. I mean, we could talk for a while about how much I, I, I don't like airports, but uh, they, it, they just have a tendency to suck the life right out of me. Everything that was good in the world is now no longer good after I get through uh, an airport. It's meant to be this fun, exciting thing, but man, I'm just telling you. And I don't know what it is, but like a lot of us, we, we all have things that, that suck the joy out of us. You know, we all have those. Sometimes it's just the little things, you know, and, and I know this is kind of just a, a, a little petty example, but uh, maybe it's, it's airports, maybe it's, uh, you know, misbehaving children. You ever have that where it's just sucking? Suck, I got an amen on that one. Maybe it's... Uh, you know, dealing with difficult people. Maybe it's a co- co-worker and an employee of yours where you're like, man, I know I got to have this conversation. I don't want to have this conversation. It just kind of drains you. Uh, maybe it's an unexpected bill. Those are always, you know, just a ton of fun. Uh, maybe it's just a, a sickness, a, ma- a nagging cold or something that just won't go away. And it just kind of drains you. It depletes you. It sucks the joy out of you or uh, for many of us, and if you haven't gone through one of these, I mean, I'm, I don't mean to be the Debbie Downer, but, but you will. You know, the Bible says that, um, you know, that, uh, that there will be trials. There will be things we'll come across, but thank God that he has overcome the world, um, John 16, 33. And so uh, there will be times that we go through very difficult circumstances that are not just petty 
little airport examples, but where there's, there's, maybe there's financial stress, where it's just, man, it's just, I, I know a lot of people that walk around just with this heavy weight and burden, and, and they, they're, they're not able to have joy because of just financial stress. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe, they're, maybe you're going through a divorce or have gone through a divorce, and it's just, it's just sucking the life right out of you. Maybe, it's, um, maybe there's an illness. Uh, maybe it's a serious illness, a terminal illness with you or a loved one. And, man, I'm just going to tell you, when you get that report from the doctor, it's just, just drains the life right out of you drains the joy right out of you. Maybe there's a, a death in the family that it's just, man, I can tell you that can d- just rob you of your joy, maybe, maybe more than anything else. I know that there's a lot of people in this room that you're probably facing something like that right now, or maybe you have faced it, or you, know, you will face it in the future. We all have those things that rob us of our joy. But I believe, and I believe what the Bible teaches is that as Christ followers, as Christians, how we respond to those moments, it makes all the difference. In fact, I believe that as Christ followers, the Bible says that we have been called to have joy no matter what. Now, now I'm going to talk a little bit about how joy, I'm not talking about happiness. There's a big difference between like smiling ear to ear and being giddy and actually having joy because joy is something that's far, far deeper it transcends any circumstance that you might be facing. It's a, it's, I believe joy is really a confidence in God. And as Christ followers, we are to have joy regardless of what we're facing. And I want to talk to you today about how, how in the world can we do that? Because the Bible talks a lot about it, and specifically in the book of Philippians. Um, Paul writes just an awesome letter to the church in Philippi, and he tells them that no matter what, here, here's how you can have joy no matter what you are facing. And just before we get there, I, I need to set it up a little bit because I think if we understand like kind of some of the context in which this book was written, I mean, it just absolutely makes all the difference in the world. This book was written um, somewhere around 62 AD, uh, so, so around 30 years after, you know, Jesus left the earth. I mean, it, these are all, most all of them are like eyewitnesses to Jesus walking the face of the earth. And so, Man, I'm going to tell you, these, these are people that are pumped up, ready to go for Jesus. It's one of the first churches. Paul plants a church in Philippi in 52 AD, and 10 years later, so in 62 AD, uh, 10 years later, Paul goes to Rome because he's thinking, you know what, my work here, I, I've planted a lot of churches, but I need to go to Rome because it's kind of the epicenter of the world. It's the most important city in the entire world, and Paul uh, decides to go to Rome because he's like, I'm going to preach there. I'm going to influence the influencers. It's going to be great. And before he ever has a chance to preach a message, he's thrown into prison. And we're not just talking about like, I don't know, my mind, what prison is, is like you watch TV and lift weights and it's like, it's not that bad. And, and, but this is like, I know that's a little naive, but uh, this is like maximum security, not good. I mean, think like Mon- Count of Monte Cristo. You ever seen that movie where like, it's just like a dungeon. And Paul is actually chained to a Roman prison guard 24-7, okay? I don't know who got the short straw on that one, but he's chained to a guard at all times. I mean, just not a great situation whatsoever. And it's in prison that Paul writes the book of Philippians, the, the letter to the church in Philippi that we know today as uh, Philippians. And he encourages the church. He says, I know you're going through some tough times, but man, I'm just going to tell you, you can have joy no matter what you're facing. Can you imagine? He's in prison writing this. His circumstances are awful. 
And this is what he writes. We're going to start in, in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to stop right there because I don't think I could have started that letter that way. If I'm just to be perfectly honest, if I'm in prison, I'd probably be like, hey guys, remember me, I'm Paul. I started your church 10 years ago and um, went to Rome. Things aren't going so great. I'm in prison. I'm chained to this dude who's a little smelly, to be honest with you. Like, could you guys come bust me out of prison? Could somebody help me out? The monkey has the key, you know, like, or, that's, that's how I envision it. Because if you've ever seen the movies, the mon- there's always a monkey that, no, nobody? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just went like that to many people. But anyway, uh, you know, come bust me out of prison. That, that's how I would start the letter. And, and Paul doesn't do that at all. He says, no, no, no. Man, I, I thank God for you. I, I, I pray with joy when I remember you because of the times that we've had together. And I want to take... And it's four chapters long. I know later on we divide it into chapters and all that. But I want to take some time, and I want to encourage you today. And I want to tell you how you can have joy regardless of what you're facing. That's how the letter begins. And I believe most, most people in America in general are in the pursuit of happiness because that's, that's the American dream. You know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. But joy is something far deeper than happiness. Joy is something that even what, you can have joy even without having a smile on your face because it's this deep-seated thing that's only given to us by God. I want to give you just a few of the, before we kind of dive into some more of Philippians chapter 1, uh, just a few things real quick, how happiness is different than joy, just to kind of get a little bit of a, a working definition. Happiness, number one, is based on circumstance, and joy is based on Christ. Happiness is based on circumstance, joy is based on Christ. Happiness actually comes from the, the Latin word hap, which is the same word that we get the word happiness, or happiness and happenings. It comes from the same exact root word that means luck. H-A-P in Latin, it means luck. Just kind of whatever happens. I mean, that's just kind of, that, that's what happiness comes from, is just if the circumstances are great, you have a smile on your face. If the circumstances aren't great, then you don't have a, I mean, that's kind of where it comes from. And Paul's joy that he talks about was clearly not based on circumstance. Because if you read about the life of Paul a little bit, and we get little snippets and little insights here and there throughout all the, you know, the, the, the chapters and books that he wrote in the Bible, you see that his circumstances were almost always bad. <laughs> like they were almost always just terrible. Far worse than, maybe, than any of us hopefully will ever encounter. And yet he had joy because it wasn't based on circumstance. I want to read to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's not going to be on the screen, but in verse 24 through 28, he tells us, this is all the stuff that I'm going through. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, uh, you know, which is basically, that's, that's what almost killed Jesus before his eventual crucifixion was just being whipped. I mean, this happened to Paul five times he's experienced that. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, which, by the way, that's like my greatest fear in the world, by the way. Um, if you've ever watched Shark Week recently, that, 
it's just terrible. I can't even imagine. Uh, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have gone without. Uh, gone, I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I mean, Paul's like, this is all the stuff I'm going through. This is not a great circumstance. And yet, regardless of what he's facing, he has joy because it's not based on circumstance. It's based on something far greater than that. The second thing is that happiness is external and joy is internal. Happiness is external and joy is internal. You can fake happiness, and a lot of people are really good at faking happiness because happiness is based on the external stuff. So if I can make all the external stuff look just right, maybe I'll be happy too. If I just have the right house and the right car and, and the kids are all dressed the right way and everything is kind of put together, I can put out this vibe of being happy. And maybe, maybe I'll actually find happiness in, there, in that. But joy is not based on any of that. In fact, the chasing after all of that is never going to bring you joy. Joy is something that is very much internal. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, which by, by the way, if I were Paul, I'd say for my extremely difficult troubles, I mean like my light and momentary troubles, he says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, on the external, but on what is unseen, since what is, un since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, man, you can have this joy that is, man, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. The third thing, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but happiness is an emotion and joy is a decision. Happiness is an emotion, joy is a decision. Happiness is very fleeting because it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. If you have kids, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand if you have kids. Okay, if you have kids, you have seen, especially, uh, I don't know, when they get a little bit older, uh, but you start to see that, that um, their emotions dictate their mood very, very much, okay? So, like, happiness for kids, man, it's an emotion. It's just, man, this is awesome, this is great, um, and, and it can be high highs and low lows and everything in between, and it's just pretty unstable. But as you mature as both a person and as a Christ follower, it goes from just being an emo you know, happiness, just being an emotion, to, to transitioning to joy being something that is a decision. It's something that we say, I'm going to be joyful no matter what else is going on. And so, with that being said, I just want to establish there's a big difference between happiness and joy. And I want to read to you kind of, uh, we're going to kind of split it up into a few different parts, but verses 12 through 21 of, of Philippians chapter 1 Paul, if, if he were sitting here today, and we were to say, Paul, man, you have gone through it all. I mean, I could tell you my sob story and my, the things that I'm facing, but they pale in comparison, Paul, to what you're facing every single day. Tell me, how in the world do you have joy through all of that? I would venture to say there's probably not anybody in this room that has faced more difficult circumstances than Paul. And he says, Regardless of all that, I'm telling you, you can have joy through anything. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. The first thing that we see in Philippians chapter 1 is that we need to stop asking why. Stop asking why. 
If you're taking notes, man, I think that's so important. I only have three things for you today because that's what they told me to do in college, and that's what I'm going to do today. But they said, stop asking why. Stop asking the question, why? Paul never asks this question. He never asks, why did I get beat? Why did I get shipwrecked? Why does everybody hate me? Why am I in prison? Why am I chained to this guy? He just, he, he doesn't ask that question. He gets well beyond that question. I believe that asking the question why, there's a time and a place for it, okay? There's, I think in the immediate, like right when you're going through a trial, it's, it's, it's okay and appropriate sometimes to ask the question why. I'm going to tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Noah. I'm going to say, why, Noah? Why didn't you kill the mosquitoes? Like, you, you had two of them. You could have taken them out. Okay, why? There's a time and a place for the question, why? Uh, you know, why do Adam and Eve have belly buttons? What's the point? You know, I, I'm going to ask the question, why, someday. I'm thinking of other things right now, but I'm going to stop. But... Um, I think that the question why when we're going through trials and circumstances, difficult times, the question why, if you dwell on that question for too long, it'll absolutely rob you of joy. And I believe that it's the, it's the distraction of the enemy for us to dwell on the question why. It forces us to live in the past. Why did the car break down? You know, like what good does it do to ask that question? You know, why did this person or that person get cancer? I think it's okay to immediately have some of those questions. But we need to move beyond that question, why? And I think the faster you can move beyond that question is the faster you're going to see the joy of God come into your life, regardless of what you're facing. As Paul writes about it, in, uh, or he, he kind of alludes to the fact that he doesn't ask the question, why? Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul has gone beyond the question, why, clearly. He's saying, what has happened to me, it's actually, it's actually good. It's a good thing because it's serving a purpose to advance the gospel. Paul has gone from asking the question, why, he, 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 I think he just skipped that question altogether. And he went to a second question that I think if, if we're going to have joy, we have got to get to this question as quickly as possible. There's a time and a place for why. But we got to move on to the second question. If you're taking notes, it's this. Start asking what? Start asking what? And here's what I mean by this. Not why did this happen? Why am I going through this? But God, what are you trying to do in this circumstance? What are you trying to teach me today? What are you going to do to redeem this for your glory? Not why, you know, woe is me. Why am I happy? Why has this happened to me? Why is the sky falling? You know, why, why, why? But God, what are you trying to do here? What are you trying to speak during this time? Um, you know, I saw this, um, I've seen this over the last um, eight, nine months or so, it just in my own life. And I'm not going to go into all, all, all the details, but um, I'll just tell you just a, a little bit. Um, about eight, nine months ago, last October, um, or end of October, um, you know, my, my grandfather was tragically killed. I mean, it was, um, I won't go into all the details, but it was one of those things that was completely just senseless. I mean, it was, um, you know, it was like, and immediately the question starts asking, okay, why on earth? Why, like, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. And, but I'm going to tell you that in, over the last eight, nine months, I have seen uh, my family. I've seen my grandmother. I've seen my parents. I've seen my aunts and uncles. I've seen kind of the leadership of, of our family have stepped up, and they've gone beyond the question why, 
I mean, immediately there was some of those questions, but very quickly got to the question, what? God, what are you trying to do? Uh, my grandpa, he was a pastor for 50 years, and so when we were planning uh, kind of the funeral and making all the preparations, that was the foremost question, was that, God, what do you want to do here? What do you want to have happen today? What do you want to speak to us today? Let's not just sit there and wallow and say, why, 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 although that's a legit question right now. Why? It doesn't make any sense. But God, what do you want to do? And I'm going to tell you that that funeral was really a, a celebration. I mean, it was saying, we're going to honor 50 years that this man gave to ministry. And there's going to be people here today that need to know the love of God today. And that was entirely um, the mindset. And to this day, I mean, even, even my grandma, I mean, I just, I never catch her asking why, 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 although I'm sure that rattles in her mind from time to time. But she's always asking, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to speak? How are you going to redeem this for your glory? I'm just going to tell you that, that that question alone will maintain your joy and give you joy like nothing else. You've got to move beyond why and get to what. Paul writes about it in Philippians 1, verse 13. He says this, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I believe that Paul's impact, and Paul is kind of alluding to this, that his impact in prison is actually far greater than his impact had he done what he set out to do and preach in Rome, you know, on the stage, on, on, on the big audience. Um, in prison, he had far greater impact. He started, you know, seeing lots of the prison guard, uh, you know, accept Christ into their life. He saw uh, some of the most influential people in, in Rome. But more than that, there's millions of people over the last 2,000 years, maybe even billions of people, that have found comfort in the words that he wrote in the book of Philippians. That, I'm, I, had he not been in prison, would that have ever happened? I mean, I'm just telling you, he's, he's, he's had far greater impact in prison than outside of prison. Because he's asked the question, what? God, what do you want to do? I came here to do this. The plans didn't work out the way I thought they would. Now, God, what can I do now? And he just hands, you know, hands to the sky, God, what do you want me to do? Got to start asking the question, what? Stop asking why, start asking what. And then the third one, a little bit more lighthearted, but I think it's important on especially a lot of the, the, the smaller things in life, I think it's so important that we as Christians always ask, so what? Always ask, so what? Someone that has joy has learned to ask the question, so what? And here's what I mean by that. I, I think so often there's, there's things that are just not that big of a deal. Or maybe in the grand scheme of things, it seems like it's a big deal right now, but it's like, man, 10 years from now, am I going to be talking about this? Am I going to be worried about this? Sometimes we just need to ask the question, so what? What's the big deal? Uh, my daughter, uh, who's six, she, um, she, her and I are wired very similarly, and so there's times where I need to sit down with her, and I need to talk to her, because I'm like, I can help you through this, because I, I kind of know what you're thinking, because I'm the same way. She makes mountains out of molehills a lot, and I 
tend to do the same thing. Um, after my little airport spiel, you might see that. But I, I tend to make a big deal, and I, I kind of get worked up about little things very easily. And I told her, you know what, every once in a while, man, you just got to say, so what? Who cares? I mean, she'll like be like in distress that her brother is, is misbehaving and disobeying. And I'm like, hey, I, so what? That's just not that big. You know, don't worry about it. It's not even your battle. Don't, you know, just stay out. But, but who cares? What's the big deal? I mean, I could give you a lot of examples um, of that, but uh, I got kind of wrap up here in just a little bit. But so what? What's the big deal? You know, sometimes, you know, gas went up 30 cents. Who cares? I mean, so what? What's the big deal? There's nothing you can do about it. Well, you know, um, you know my, my kid didn't make the traveling soccer team. So what? <laughs> Is it really that big of a deal? And I'm not saying that nothing matters. And I'm not here to, if, if you are going through a very significant trial, I'm not here to belittle that and say that we just need to be flippant and say, who cares? I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying on a lot of the little things, I think like 90% of things, they're just, do they pass the so what test? Is it that big of a deal? Paul writes about this, and I, I love this part of Philippians chapter 1 in verses 15 through 18 because Paul, basically, he's heard back from the church in Philippi, and the church leadership there, kind of the, the guys that Paul has passed this church on to, um, are raising all sorts of questions. They say, man, there's these little churches popping up, and some of them, I don't think that they're legit, and some of them aren't preaching um, the way I think they should, and some of them aren't doing it with pure motives. And so, Paul, what are, we, what are you going to do? What are we supposed to do about this? And this is what Paul writes, starting in verse 15. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And then in verse 18, he, he says it. He says, but what does it matter? But who cares? So what? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I, I, I will rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You know, Paul says, as long as Christ is preached, what's the big deal? That's the goal anyway, right? As long as Christ is being proclaimed, who are we to judge the motives of all of these churches? And he says, guys, it's not that big of a deal. You're stressing out about things that you can't even control anyway. Today, I, I, you know, I don't know what it is that, that you might be facing. And I'm sure, maybe as I've spoke, there's been things that have entered your mind that are like, man, that's, that's really weighing on me right now. And kind of maybe it's some really significant things, you know, that you're just, you're just wrestling with. I, I, I feel like I've lived a, a relatively unscathed life when it comes to, I just haven't gone through a lot of difficult things. And there's things that, man, I can't even sympathize or empathize with today. But, but we have a choice today. Are we going to choose joy or not? Are we going to make a decision that, you know what, God, I'm going to choose joy? I, I close with uh, just this story, and, and maybe you've heard this story before. I, this is a very encouraging story to me that I heard a long time ago, and I just want to uh, tell you about it today. There's a man in 1871 uh, named Horatio Spafford, and he was a very successful um, attorney in the Chicago area. 
and things were, you know, going really, well, going really good for him. And then in 1871, he had an infant son that died, just totally unexpectedly, just rocked his world. And it was the same year in 1871 that it was the year of the Chicago fire, the great Chicago fire, that just devastated Chicago, the economy. I mean, this guy's law practice. I mean, it just affected everything. And so it was, for Horatio Spafford, it was a pretty, pretty rough year. And he had a friend in England a couple years later that was saying, man, I know you've been going through a lot. Why don't you come out to England? Uh, he's a pastor there. And he said, why don't you come out, take, he has four daughters and a wife. Why don't you guys just all come out there? You just need to take a little break from everything that's been going on. And so he says, you know what, that's probably a good idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. And so they, they're getting ready to load up and, and they're getting ready to, to take this trip. And um, there's a business thing that pops up for Horatio. And he says, you know what, um, why don't, he tells his wife, why don't you take the four girls, you go. I'm going to be like two days behind you. Um, I'll take the next ship out. I need to attend to this, but I'll be there right behind you. And so they, they agree to that. So that his, his daughters and his wife go on ahead. And in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, if you know the story, there, there was a, their vessel actually struck another vessel, and it went down, and there was 226 people aboard that died that day. Um, all four of Horatio Spafford's daughters went down with the ship. And two days later, he gets a telegram from England, from his wife, that says, saved alone. So his wife somehow uh, was able to be saved that day. So Horatio, I mean, I can't imagine what, what's going through his mind. He doesn't even have any details, what's going on. So he gets on the next ship to go to England to be with his grieving wife. And on the way there, the captain says, you know, we're going to go right over the, the, the spot that the ship went down where all four of your daughters are entombed in the ocean. And so he said, I'll, I'll stop the ship if you want me to, if you want to take a moment to kind of pay your respects. And he says, you know what, I would love that if you would do that. So they get over to the spot where the ship went down and he looks into the water and it was in that moment that he wrote the song that we know today as it is well with my soul. And he wrote it out that day. And if you know the lyrics of that song, it's incredibly powerful to know the story behind it. But he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. In other words, when, when things are going really well, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when things aren't going so well. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a man that had joy. That's a man that understood. I mean, I can't imagine going through what he went through. And he says, you know what? Obviously, I'm grieving. Obviously, this is very difficult. I don't have happiness right now. But I have a joy, a confidence in God. And I believe today that only God can give us joy. I believe joy is something that's supernatural. I don't think that you can leave here today and say, man, today I'm going to muster up some joy. I'm going to go and maybe I'm going to go golfing for a little bit. I'm, I'm, by the end of it, I'm going to have some joy. I'm going to come back. I'm going to have joy. I don't think that's how joy works. I think joy is something that's supernaturally given to us by God. And I believe that there's people here today that you need to supernaturally get that joy that we're talking about, that Paul had and that Horatio Spafford had, the, the same joy that I see 
in my grandma, in my parents right now, that regardless of what's going on, we got this joy from God. We have this confidence that God still is on the throne. God still hasn't moved an inch off the throne, and his promises are true today. Will we trust in that? Can we have joy? The last verse in, in Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read today. It's, it's verse 21, and Paul gives us the reason that he has joy. He kind of gives us the concluding thought, this is really why I have joy. If I were to put it all into one verse, this is why I have joy. He says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, for me, if I live, I get to preach Christ. That's, that's his one passion and ambition in life is to preach Christ. And if I die, I get to be with Christ. How can I lose? <laughs> it's great either way I go on this one. You can't steal my joy. I'm telling you, you can't do anything to somebody that has that attitude. There's nothing that can rock their faith. There's nothing that can steal their joy. It's a supernatural joy. And I just, my prayer for us today is that we would experience that joy. I believe it's as simple as just asking God. In fact, um, you, you read back in James chapter 1, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, I consider it pure joy when going through trials of any kind because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance uh, is what we're going for anyway. And then the next uh, couple of verses, in, I think it's verse 5, he says that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should just ask God for it and he will freely give it to you. And I, I believe wisdom, I mean, it can be translated a bunch of different ways, but I, I believe it can also be the same thing with joy. That, man, it, you should have joy, but if you don't, just ask for it, and he'll give it to you freely. Just ask for it. It's a supernatural gift that God wants to give us today. I, could, I, I just, I want to keep preaching on this today, but I'm going I'm to land the plane, I'm going to wrap up. But I just believe there's so many people that they need to experience and accept that joy in their life today. Would you pray with me?